There's so much we can learn about ourselves when we think about trees. Did you know that in Psalm 1, God says you shall be like a tree? When we follow Jesus, it begins when we are like a tiny seed or a sapling, firmly planted and too weak to stand on its own. As we grow up in the truth, we send our roots down. They keep us fed and strong. But beware, becoming what God created us to be isn't always easy. There are bad forces that work against us, and it takes faith and discipline to get through them. But once you mature and discover your gifts, you grow fruit. Delicious fruit that you can share with everyone around you. And there's nothing more beautiful than watching how your life, which started out as a little seed, can multiply into the lives of others. This could be you, a majestic tree, going deep, growing wide, living tall, and bearing lots and lots of fruit. Thank you so much, John and worship team. Today, as we continue in our spiritual formation series, we have made it to phase three of our series, which is the growing phase. We've been through the planted phase. We've been through the rooted phase. Last week, we talked about being rooted properly, being rooted in Christ, and we talked about the importance of identity in the spiritual formation conversation. Before we get started today, there's, a, in a, there's an important video that I'd like for us to view and it really gets at these ideas that we've been talking about in this series and the, the, the correlation between identity and spiritual formation and where we need to go from here. And so I'd like for us to start by watching this video. It's about 10 minutes long, and I really encourage you to focus your attention on the screen as we begin our time today. It's really, really quite powerful, and I think that you're going to be blessed by this. So without further ado, check this out. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a, a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso. It's like, <laughs> but I want to be his masterpiece. I want to be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, dear heavenly father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer. That's how it works. Okay, okay. If you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what? I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky. Yeah, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Okay, okay. Um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh, why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh, okay, okay. If you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away. You answered my question with a question. I did? <sighs> yeah, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. <laughs> Step right up. Here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm gonna make you my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Wait, wait, what are these about? These are the tools I'm gonna to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up, here we go. Okay. Oh, hey God. Uh -huh. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? 
I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running, I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward, but I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here and maybe four to five, maybe eight lines right here, that would be awesome. <laughs> You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. The platypus? All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. Mm. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust? Well, time out. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. Hang on a second. I mean, I, I got to admit, I, I feel like you've been doing some great work and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean, even my church friends and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Um, it's hard to talk to you. You know everything that I'm thinking. I'm just saying you've done some great work. Maybe we take a break, a sabbatical from each other, you know. I'll stay right here and then, you That's know. That's just it. You never just stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but never you just stay. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things in your life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Now this right here, this secret sin that you keep running to whenever you're hurting, angry, lonely, tired, that you think you're fooling everybody, but it's making you a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel this out of your life? Yeah. See, it's a process. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's your whole life. And you care so deeply about what other people think of you. It's rubbish, it's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever gonna hear is at the end of your life, when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant, that's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize, heavenward. Oh, that hurts. Oh, trust me, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Right. Okay, I'm sorry. I just, I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't. Talk to me about sacrifice. I know all about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you've been doing for years, these empty 
wells that don't have anything to offer. You've been going to them and it's insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. Um, Allow me to produce character where you keep focusing so much on your image. Okay, but I was thinking. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Okay, but if we went another way. Your ways are not my ways. Oh, I can't. You can't what? I, 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 I can't be good. That's your excuse. That's your excuse is that you can't be good. It's not an excuse. I can't. Oh, my child. In the beginning, I said it was good. I made you good. Be good. Yeah, but you and I both... What? Now what is it? Nothing, okay? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just, um... I let you down so many times, God. No, my child. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. Never the other way around. In this relationship, I hold you up. Okay. Chisel away. Just just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. Because I get up every morning... And I look at him in the mirror. And I hate who I see. Because deep inside there, this, this, this little kid who gets up every morning and dresses like an adult. And I go out and I, and I try to do what I'm supposed to do, but I can't, okay? I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I want to be, much less who you created me to be. And so inside is this scared, stupid little kid. But you chisel away, just... Be prepared. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not from me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. How can I show you that my love for you stretches as far as the east to the west? That How can I show you that my love for you has no end? I know. Reach your back pocket. What? Reach your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach your back pocket. Oh, God. Yes? I just meant, God, I'll do that right now. You're just saying my name in vain. Come on. It's, it's a name. It's a saying. It's a name above all names. It's more than a saying. It's more than a name. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. Oh, my gosh. You know what that is? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a note. I, I wrote it when I was in college. How did you get this? Hello? Oh, yeah. Go ahead, read it. I love Angie. Other side. Sorry. Dear God, did I hear you right today? Did I hear you say that you love me? Even though you and I both know I've messed up so many times. Did I hear you say you want to use me? And I feel so useless. If you'll take me, 
then use me. God, I give you all that I am. Take me. I love you, God. I love you too. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. This salvation that you hold, I don't want it to be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And when problems come and chaos happens, don't look at it as a prison, but look at it as a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. I know, but it's going to be tough. Yes, but you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you gave everything over to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's. No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you, but maybe for the first time in your life, the way I see you, the way I created you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece. Amen. The really striking thing about that video is how it corresponds to where we are in this series and how the God of all the universe thinks about us and how he changes us. So I want you to keep that video in your mind during the message uh, today, and we'll come back to it and dive a little deeper into different parts of that video. Uh, but before we do that, why don't we pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Father, thank you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you now. Thank you for your word, that it is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We pray that you'd open up our eyes and that we would see wonderful things in your word. Thank you that you've told us that we are your original masterpiece. Thank you that you're at work in us to chisel us and to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. We ask today that you would do some chiseling even now as we look at your word today. Give us faith to obey you uh, with our whole hearts and help me to preach your word with clarity, wisdom, passion, and freedom. We look to you to bless this time. We give you all the glory and honor for your great work of spiritual formation. Amen. I'm on page 76 of your workbook. If you have it, go ahead and open it up. We've made it to rule five. Rule five reads like this. Learn how distinctively Christian change is unique and powerful. Learn how distinctively Christian change is unique and powerful. And as we begin, let me just invite you to personalize the message because it will be worth a lot more to you if you're thinking about an area in your own life that you would like to change. Is there some area where you're struggling, you would like to shift, you would like God to work on a certain aspect of your life today? Just think about that one area. What is it for you? Uh, Maybe you're a little bit more timid, maybe sometimes cowardly, and maybe you're asking God to make you more courageous. Maybe you're, you're anxious, and you're full of worry all the time, and you're asking God to teach you about his peace. Uh, maybe for you, you're, you're angry a lot, and you're asking God to make you more patient. Uh, maybe you're stingy, and you would like to be more generous. I, I don't know what it is for you, but what is one area in your life where you would like God to do a work in you? To, because to change, you have to understand the nature of Christian change and how it's distinct and unique from any other form or model of change that's out there. 
and we're going to see that in our passage today. A well-known story is our passage from John chapter 15. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can flop that open to John chapter 15 as well. This is an extended parable. It's really an allegory about fruit-bearing, and we're going to use this image of a vineyard. We're kind of moving from a tree to a vineyard today, still staying with the botanical, agricultural, garden metaphor, though. And we're going to see in this vineyard illustration some powerful, profound truths about the spiritual life that intersect with where we are today, and it'll tell us how change actually happens in the spiritual realm. You'll see three movements to the message. First, we're going to see the parts of fruit bearing, then we'll see the process of fruit bearing, and then we'll see the product of fruit bearing. Four different parts, actually, and then a four-part process, and then two spectacular results of fruit bearing. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Uh, We'll read this as we begin, actually. If you don't mind, why don't you stand, if you're able, as we Look at God's word today and begin our time together. Hear the word of the Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, if we could go to the next slide, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we're thinking about this, let me just put on the screen a diagram to help us understand what Jesus is talking about. If you've ever been to the Napa Valley or the Finger Lakes or some of the vineyards here in good old New Jersey, then you know what you're looking at there. You have to understand what a vine would look like to understand the nature of Jesus's allegory here. And this right away teaches us something very different about Jesus's model of change than the ways that we normally think about change. Typically, when this world thinks about change, we think about hard work. We think about discipline. We think about the kind of change that we would see by just pulling ourselves up by our our bootstraps. That's not the kind of change that you would see in a vineyard. That's not the kind of change you would see in an orchard. That's not the kind of change you would see in a garden, right? When, when, When you think about the nature of Christian change, you realize Jesus is talking about something more organic than that. You don't go to a vineyard and see the vines going, fruit, right? They're not like over there struggling to produce fruit. Vines don't work hard to produce change, right? They're not over there going, struggle. That's not the nature of Christian change. Actually, the vineyard gives us a different model that's more organic. It's more natural. It's more botanical than that. It's just sort of a very different way of thinking about change. 
Here in America, I think about change like white-knuckling it. Let, let me just hold on as hard as I can. Let me just, I can do this. I can try harder. I can, try, I can work hard. That's not what Jesus has in mind when he's talking about the kind of spiritual change offered to us in the gospel and through the Holy Spirit. Rather, in verse 5, you probably noticed he said this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, just fix your eyes on that word nothing for a moment there. Just imagine, if you will, let me just try to get a prop just to help us out here. I know this is not a, a, a vine or a vineyard, but just, just imagine, if you will, that this is, this is some sort of you know, vine like Jesus is talking about there. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now think about if you just had a branch just, just laying down on the ground next to the vine, how, how are those branches down there on the ground going to do when it comes to producing fruit? There's no hope whatsoever. Right? This is why he says, apart from me, you can't do anything. You can't produce fruit unless you're connected back into the vine. See, this is very different from the world's model of change right away. The world says that we have the power to change inside of us. The world says you just have to look in and your self-help model can help you get to where you need to go. But Jesus says, no, 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 wait a minute. That's not true. You don't have the power to change on the inside of you. You need me to help you. And the more we try to change by ourselves, the more we try to put in effort and produce what, this is going to produce frustration. This is going to produce despair because ultimately it's not the kind of change that will last. It, it might even lead to depression if we try to change this way. The distinctively Christian view of change is that it's God who's the one who's actually cultivating this kind of change on the inside of us. It's God who's the vine dresser, the gardener here. And it's Jesus who's allowing us to be connected to him. And it's the spirit who's producing this fruit on the inside of us. There's nothing wrong with working hard. I work hard. I think you should work hard. But you don't go to an orchard. You don't go to a vineyard and see the vines working really hard going, fruit. This is a different model of change that Jesus is offering us here. The vines and the trees and the, the kind of things that we see out in nature, the botanical model of change it's not like, struggle. Instead, it's just like natural. Boop, 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 fruit, 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 fruit. That's the model of change that Jesus is presenting us here in John chapter 15. I love the way Pastor Andy Stanley puts it. He says this, fruit is produced in and through, not by us. Fruit is produced in and through, not by us. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is different from your personality traits. It's different from the skills that you've developed in your life at college. It's different from, from your IQ. It, it's not the natural kind of talents that you're, that you're born with. This is a supernatural fruit that God is producing in his children. It's brought about by the Holy Spirit. Now think about this parable and the different allegorical parts that Jesus has given us. And let's just interpret them one by one to make sure we're fully grasping what he's talking about. Number one, we have to understand that the vine is Jesus Christ. So actually, let's say that together just to make sure we all got it. Ready? The vine is Jesus Christ. Thank you. You guys sound great. He says, I am the vine. 
It's not an accident that this is the, the Gospel of John, and those of you familiar with the Gospel of John know that Jesus has seven different I am statements in the Gospel of John. They serve as the backbone to the Gospel of John, and this is actually the seventh of the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. He's already said, number one, I am the bread of life. Number two, I'm the light of the world. Number three, I'm the door of the sheep. Number four, I'm the resurrection and the life. Number five, I am the good shepherd. Number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then number seven, I am the vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. It comes out of the ground, and my roots go down into the depths of eternity, deep down into the depths of the Godhead itself. And I'm connecting myself with you, the branches. I am the vine. Meaning, friends, there is one source. There is one supply for spiritual change. He is, as the hymn writer says, the fount of every blessing. Notice he doesn't say, I am a vine. He says, I am the vine. This is what the Apostle Peter is getting at in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says it a different way. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. You may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Friends, that means if you've accepted Christ by faith as your Savior, then you have access now to the very life of God flowing on the inside of you. And this is why you should never get cynical in the Christian life. This is why you have hope to change. I mean, what habit could be so entrenched within us or within you that God himself could not lift it out of you? There is none. And so we should always remember that there is this power on the inside of us. The vine is Jesus Christ. Number two, the branch is the believer. So can we say that together? The branch is the believer. Now, there's actually two kinds of branches in this parable. There's fruitful branches and unfruitful branches. But here I'm talking about the fruitful branches. He says, you are the branches, meaning talking to his disciples. They're in the, uh, this is the night before he died on the cross. He's talking to them in a smaller group setting. This is the upper room discourse. These, these are his friends. But today, this is you and I. These are the people who placed our trust in, in Jesus Christ. We are these branches connected to him, connected to Christ with his life now flowing on the inside of us. And the Holy Spirit is the sap. It's that flowing water, nutrients, all of the, the things that the, the branches need to produce fruit. That's God the Holy Spirit giving us his life flowing on the inside of us for this kind of powerful change. Acts chapter 1 gave an amazing promise, didn't he? Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Christian growth it might be slow, it might be gradual, but friends, make no mistake, it is powerful. Just think about the power of organic growth that you see out there in nature. Uh, pastor G. Campbell Morgan, a British pastor, told a story about this. He said he was in England walking through a cemetery, and there was this huge marble stone marking somebody's grave, but an acorn had gotten into the grave like 600 years earlier, and you know what happened. The acorn sprouted a shoot, and the shoot became a tree, and then the tree grew up so strong that over time, it actually split the marble slab in half. Now, that's pretty powerful. Common sense would seem to tell you and me, here's an acorn, here's a big marble slab, which one's going to win? No brainer, right? I'm putting my money on the big marble slab. Uh-uh. Jesus says, nope, nope, nope. You should put your money on the acorn. The acorn's alive. The acorn has a powerful source of life on the inside of it. That's the power of organic growth, botanical growth. That's the kind of power Jesus is talking about in John 15. 
It might be slow, it might be gradual. Jesus said if you have faith even as small as a mustard seed, it can move a mountain. Friends, that's the kind of power God brings into our lives to transform us through his Holy Spirit to produce change. Uh, Jesus gave us a promise in verse 16. Drop down with me if you would. He said this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Wow. Now, be careful with this. This is not Jesus bringing out Aladdin's lamp and saying, just rub the lamp and you'll get whatever you want. No. This isn't, I just wish I could drive that luxury car. That's not the promise. Look at the context. What is John chapter 15 about? It's about fruit. Listen, here's what the Lord Jesus is promising. Any kind of fruit you want to bear, any kind of character quality that you see in me, that you want to have in you, ask me. Ask whatever you wish. Draw it out from me. Draw it up from me. I will produce that same fruit you see in me. I'll produce it in you. Now that's amazing. Uh, Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, ask and you will receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open for you. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, the door is opened. And he says, who among you, if you had a son and asked for bread, would you give him a stone? If you had a, a son asked for a fish, would you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to everyone who asks him? Luke 11, 9 through 13. In your workbook on page 82, you'll see a chart there that is the fruit of the Spirit. Very important chart in your workbook you're going to want to spend some time thinking about what fruit you would like to see in your life and how the Spirit, through the good news of the gospel, produces this exact kind of aspect of the fruit in you. And so don't rush that process. That's a very helpful exercise. It might be the most important chart in the workbook, so take notice of that. But the branch is the believer. Okay, the third aspect of the parable is the vine dresser. The vine dresser is God the Father. Can we say that together? The vine dresser is God the Father. It's interesting to me that in John chapter 14, Jesus mentions the Father 21 different times. And in our passage here in chapter 15, he mentions the Father four different times. He's very concerned that we know what the Father is doing in this work of transformation. And, and if you look at verse 2, he says things like, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it might bear more fruit. This is the work of the vine dresser, pruning. And so I brought my pruning shears with me this morning. The, the father comes and he prunes the vine, and he prunes it throughout the season. This is the chiseling work in the video. Same thing, pruning, chiseling. I'm using those kind of synonymously here. Now, a vine dresser has one job, one job, and their only job is to produce as many grapes as possible. And he works all year long on this one job. He doesn't work on the vine. He works on the branches. And what does he do? Well, two things. He takes away fruitless branches, and he prunes fruitful branches. Another way to say it is like this. He cuts away the lifeless, and he cultivates the living. He cuts away the lifeless, and he cultivates the living. One of those works is the work of destruction. The other work is the work of discipline. This is what our Father is doing in his work of pruning with the pruning shears. 
We'll come back to pruning in just a moment. First, let's look at number four. The fourth aspect, the fourth part of the parable has to do with you and me. The, the fruit is the believer's good works. Can we say that together? The fruit is the believer's good works. Oh, Pastor Dave, that's a bummer. You mean God wants me to work? Yeah. That's why you were created to work and to do good works. Some people have a real misunderstanding about this, and it becomes very passive in their spiritual life, and it's kind of like let go and let God. Maybe it's his fruit. Maybe he'll take care of it. You can't find a New Testament precedent for that. Take a look in the context of chapter 15, verse 16, where Jesus says this, I appointed you to go and bear fruit. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. The word go there is an imperative. It's a command. The word bear fruit is an imperative as well. It's a command. That means it's your job to bear fruit. Jesus says you've been appointed by God for this. Yes, ultimately it's God, the Holy Spirit, who's at work in you. And ultimately salvation is God's work all in all. But now after we've accepted the gospel, after we've come by faith, we are on this journey of spiritual formation. We are on this journey of sanctification. And this is a partnership that we have with God. Paul describes the partnership in a lot of places. One of those is in Philippians 4. Look at the way he packages it. He says this. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you see how it's both working together there? He's in a partnership with God. Again, Ephesians 2.10 is a great example of this. We saw this in the video. Paul says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Which is actually amazing. God Almighty up in heaven says, I got some work I want to do. And then to accomplish that work, he creates a person, a human being. and says, now that I've created you, I want you to go and do that good work for me. Now, don't misunderstand this. Now, can I get to a place where I say, um, you know, I'm doing pretty good here, and God will come to me and say, Pastor Dave, you know, I'm like really impressed by your good works. You, you're earning your way into heaven now. Can I ever get to that place? No. In the context of Ephesians 10, right, the verse right before that actually says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. See, friends, the only work that will ever get me into heaven is the work of Christ on the cross, on my behalf, period, full stop. We're saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. But then after we have accepted this good news, God has good works prepared for us to do. And so we're supposed to bear fruit. And isn't it amazing that God wants to use you as part of his plan? That's just incredible. I've never gotten over that. So we've seen the parts of the parable. Now I want to look at the process of fruit bearing, the process of fruit bearing. And here you're going to see four different fruit bearing levels, if you will, four different levels. Level one is the level of no fruit. This person has literally no fruit. Uh, we, show him, we, we see him in verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. We see him again in verse 6. Uh, let me put it on the screen just to remind you. It says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. 
Now, there's some debate on these verses, but the best I can understand is this is describing somebody who has some association with the church or some association with Christianity, but they're not actually connected to the true vine. They have what's called a formal connection, but they don't have a vital connection. It's formal, not vital. It's mechanical. They're along with the crowd. There's an example right in the context here. His name's Judas, and he just left, actually, the room to go betray the Lord Jesus, and the disciples are like, well, what are we supposed to do with that category? What happened to him? I thought he was with us. And Jesus is teaching us not all the time. Not everybody who's around us is necessarily connected to this same vine. Sometimes there's pretenders. And so this person can exist even today. They might profess to be a Christian, but it's not really genuine. They have never actually repented of their sins. They've never really made Jesus their Lord. They're kind of playing games. It's not really a game, though. If you look here in verse 6, Jesus says, you don't belong to me. One day you're going to be cut down. One day you're going to be thrown into the fire. There's no growth, no fruit in this person, no holiness, no righteousness, no fruit of the Spirit. And this, in the context, is supposed to be the distinguishing mark that a believer should have who has a vital relationship with Christ, right? Verse 8 says this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And so if you look at your life, or if someone looks at their life, and they don't see any fruit whatsoever, then that's an indication that they might not be connected to the vine. And the only way to really to go from level 1 to level 2 is repentance and faith, to turn your life over to God. I'm just going to pause and drop anchor here for a second. Do you see how sobering it is to pretend? Do you see how serious it is to go through the motions? If you're here this morning and you describe yourself as a Christian, is it possible that before God and before Christ, you still need to acknowledge your own need of repentance today? Is it possible you've presumed, you've assumed things were all right between you and God, but you've never repented? I encourage you to consider this as a very serious passage. So the way from level one to level two is, is accepting Christ as the Lord of my life and repenting and believing in the gospel. Now, after I become a Christian, now we have these three different fruit-bearing levels. Branches grow and they get mature, and then the more mature they get, the more fruit they can, they can handle. And God wants us all to go to the highest fruit-bearing level. Now, now, the million-dollar question is, well, how do I get to the highest level? How do you get to the next level? And the answer, friends, is what happens in between these levels. That's the answer. And so between level two and three, Jesus said, here's what's going to happen. In between those two levels is something that, that's called pruning, or like we saw in the video, chiseling. That, that he says in verse two, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, to prune just simply means to cut. And so this is a technique that the vineyard, the gardener, would use where they, they basically would uh, decide. You really only have one choice as a gardener. Okay, here, here's your choice. You can either have a lot of leaves or you can have a lot of fruit. But you can't have both. And so you got to make a decision. You can have a lot of leaves or you can have a lot of fruit, but you can't have both. There's only so much sap, there's only so much nutrients, there's only so much water, and if it's all going into these offshoots and, and leafy branches, then there's not much left over to go into the fruit. And so the wise gardener comes along, 
and he prunes the vine. And he prunes the vine so that it might bear more fruit. And this happens continuously throughout the season. If I could put it simply, the purpose of pruning is to cut back to bear, to bear more. To cut back to bear more. In a spiritual sense, when I'm not bearing fruit, God intervenes in my life and the wise gardener comes to Dave, the branch, and, uh, you know, maybe cuts a little something off here that's not bearing a whole lot of fruit. And he stimulates me in order that I might bear more fruit. There are things in my life that occupy too much of my energy, they occupy too much of my mind, that occupy too much of my heart. And God says, I, I, need, I need to cut that out of your life. I, I need to make more room for me and more room so that I might bear fruit in you. And usually in the Bible, this is something called discipline. Hebrews 12 says, God the Father treats us with discipline as his children. There's a lot of tools that he can use for pruning shears. Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's relational, sometimes it's financial. Doesn't mean every time something bad happens to you, it means you've gotten off track. Not necessarily. But it could be. It could be that God is doing what he needs to do to get my attention. Because the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit will not go into those dead branches in my life. I can't expect the Holy Spirit to bless something that's not of God, that's not of him. Again, this is so different from the world's model of change, is it not? The world is all about self-help. But Christianity comes along and says, no, no, no. You need God, the gardener, to come into your life and intervene. And I'll just be honest, in my life, as I look back, there has been times where I've been so stubborn, so I just would not listen to God, and I, I, I left God with only one choice, and he had to bring his discipline. Why? To get my attention, because I was fighting against God. I would not listen to him. And so, I, you know, finally, he would intervene and do a little pruning. Uh, take a look at this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says it so well. He says this, I owe more to the fire and the hammer and the file than to anything else in my Lord's workshop. I sometimes question whether I've ever learned anything except through the rod. Has God ever pruned you in your life? Has God ever intervened and, and stimulated your growth? You know, I, I, find it, I find it fascinating. Sometimes when I talk to people, there's, there's large areas of their life that they've had to have pruned by God. There's just gigantic lopping off of certain areas in their life. And I'll ask them, like, can you give me one or two uh, memories that you have, milestones in your life? As a pastor, I like to know, how do people change? So tell me, what has helped you change in your life? And, and inevitably, they never say something like, you know, it was, it was that house that I bought that I've always wanted. That's when I really changed. They don't say that. They said, no, there was this unbelievably painful circumstance where I had to actually get pruned in a huge way. And, and it was miserable. It was horrible. It was brutal. Wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But, you know, this situation came into my life, and it was a huge prune experience for me, and, and this happened, and, and like God altered the entire trajectory of my life because of his work of pruning in that way. That, that's what they tell me. This is God, the Holy Spirit, growing us and producing his fruit in us. But sometimes when God is, God is trying to prune us, like we're wrestling with him, right? Like we're like, no, no, don't, don't cut it off. This is me. I'm the tree. I'm like, no, no, not that part, right? But God says, no, this is for your good. I, I want to prune you. I want you to bear much fruit. 
God knows our hearts. God knows they're, they're prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And so we're thankful for God's pruning. We're thankful. Uh, there's an old quote from John Newton, uh, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, who was a slave trader, and, and he said this. He said, I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. And I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but still I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am today. See, pruning is God's way of shaping us. This is that chiseling from the video. Take a look at another insight, this time from Oswald Chambers. He says this, A saint's life is in the hands of God as a bow and arrow in the hands of an archer. God is aiming at something the saint cannot see. He stretches and strains, and every now and again the saint says, I cannot stand anymore. Ever been there? But God does not heed. He goes on stretching until his purpose is in sight. Then he lets fly. We are here for God's designs, not our own. So we've talked about how God pruned you in the past, but can I just ask you a question about the present? Is there anywhere in your life where God's pruning you right now? Where's God pruning you today? Is there something that God loves that you're tempted to hate? Is there something that God hates that you're tempted to love? Is there some sin in your life you need to confess or a relationship that's not appropriate or some choice you need to make? Whatever the Holy Spirit's bringing to your mind, I encourage you to listen to God. This is how you go from level two to three. It's pruning. Now, the way you go from level three to four is a totally different process. The way we go to the much fruit level, level four, involves this word that's used in the passage over 10 times. I bet you caught what it was. There's one word that Jesus keeps on repeating here that takes us to level four. Did you catch it? It's the word abiding. Abiding, it's the Greek word meno. It's used 40 times in the Gospel of John. It's really hard to translate into English. Sometimes you see abiding, sometimes you see remaining. It means to dwell, to stay with, to stay connected, to stay close, to persevere, to be with. Uh, one pastor said it, it's, it's like the picture of being in your mother's womb, that you're abiding there with God. Perfect peace, perfect trust, perfect provision, perfect safety. Now, agriculturally, abiding is this idea of deepening the connection between the, the vine and the branches, to widen the connection, to strengthen that connection. Now, spiritually, it just means to stay connected to God. We grow in our character by growing in our intimacy with Christ. And, and that creates what's called a cycle of dependence where we, we abide and then we obey, we abide and then we obey some more, we abide and then we obey some more. But it all starts by just being with him. God wants you to understand him and know him and relationally be intimate with him. Now we're gonna dive really deep into abiding in the next rule with the spiritual disciplines But for now, let me just give you two very specific practical ways that you can apply abiding in your life. Okay, the first one is this. He says, abide in my word. Verse seven, may my words abide in you. We talked about the importance of the scriptures in the spiritual formation process a number of weeks ago. This is why the psalmist says, I meditate on your word day and night. Your word's like honey to me. I I digest them, I take them in, I make them part of me. I make them part of my spirit, part of my soul. 
I make your word a part of me. Colossians chapter 3, let the word of God dwell richly within you. If you want to bear much fruit, you've got to have a regular daily time with the Lord. If you don't, that can keep you from bearing fruit. The scriptures are so important here. Personally, I like to meet with the Lord at the beginning of the day. That's just when my heart is fresh and my heart is right, and that's when I like to pray and read and meditate on the word. Jesus says, abide in my word. Oswald Chambers, again, says it so well. Take a look. He says, get into the habit of dealing with God about everything. Unless in the first waking moment of the day, you learn to fling the door wide back and let God in, you will work on a wrong level all day. But swing the door wide open and pray to your Father in secret, and every public thing will be stamped with the presence of God. Now, God works in this way slowly and methodically through his word. I know the world wants like quick change, quick fix, but God is like, no, no, just every day, methodically, gradually, slowly, let my word abide in you. Abide in his word. Number two, he says, abide in my love. Did you notice that in the passage? Abide in my love. Now, I want us to be careful here because the world doesn't mind the idea of love, but it's not exactly the kind of love that Jesus is teaching in the gospel. The world's idea of love is self-affirmation, and it is just self-acceptance and self-esteem. That's not exactly the way that the gospel would communicate love. Sam Albury says it so well. He says this, the phrase God loves us just as we are is not untrue, but I'd suggest it's only partially true. It could be quite misleading if that's all that somebody hears. God loves me just as I am. can imply because how I am just as I am. I'm quite lovable, really. Whereas God loves me as I am says something about God, not something about me. God loves us because of what he's like, not because of what we're like. And because God is love, he can love us as we are, but he won't leave us as we are. See, the gospel says God knows you to the depths of your being, all the sin, all the darkness too. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bear the penalty for our sin, bear the consequences of our sin, bear the wrath of God. And he's able to, because of Christ's work on our behalf, love us despite our flaws because we're in him now. And God remembers the Bible didn't start with Genesis 3. It started with Genesis 1 and 2. He created us good. Like the video said, we were his original masterpiece. But it's gotten messed up along the way, and so he found a way to bring redemption and rescue, and now he's conforming us with that chisel back into the image of Jesus Christ, back into his masterpiece again. And we need to abide in God's love. So important. Most of the problems in my life are are a failure for me to abide in God's love. I, I, I prefer to get love from another source, you know, our spouses or people at work. We prefer to get love somewhere else besides going to God for love, and that really messes everything up. Jesus says this in verse 9. Did you catch it? He says this, as the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. Just think about that verse on the screen. How much does the Father love the Son? The perfect, righteous, 
only begotten son. It's infinite. As the father, Jesus. Do you mean to say it like that? Shouldn't it be something more like this? You know how the father loves me? I love you guys like half that much. That would be pretty good. He doesn't say it like that. Just as the father loved me, so I love you. This is unbelievable. Why? Because we're in him now. Is it any wonder that John, who wrote this gospel, would always refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved? Do you really believe that God loves you? A couple days ago, I was leafing through an old Bible that I had, and I flopped it open to 1 Peter, and my oldest daughter, who's in her 20s, had scribbled on 1 Peter when she was like one and a half. And so I took a picture of it, and I texted her and said, thanks for ruining 1 Peter many years ago. And we had a joke about that. But actually, at the time, though, it was annoying to me. 20 years later, that's the most precious page in my Bible. Because I remember. I remember when she was one and a half. Parents, don't you wish you could just turn back time and just have one day back when it was, when the little ones were on our lap? And it just, man, I don't know that I really truly appreciated what it was like to spend time with that little one when she was one and a half. And it just kind of brought me back, that page in my Bible. Does your relationship with God look anything like that? Just abiding with him? Just being with him? You know what the sad thing is, friends? We find other places to abide. That's what we do. We find other false vines that promise us joy, they promise us pleasure, they promise us power, they promise us what we think we want, fame or fortune or success, but they don't produce what Jesus calls the fruit that lasts. And ultimately, those other vines lead to destruction. If you place your trust in any other vine, today's the Super Bowl, you know, if an NFL player has a career-ending injury, uh, the chances of his suicide go go skyrockets. Why? Because there's something about his identity that he's placing there. It's a false vine. You know, back in 2008 when the market crashed, you know how many high-profile CEOs actually committed suicide after that? There's a false vine of finances. That's why Jesus says, I'm the true vine. The world doesn't love you. Your career doesn't love you. The Cincinnati Bengals don't even love you, though we hope that they win tonight, right? Your favorite dessert doesn't love you. Jesus Christ loves you. He's the true vine. Abide in his love. Remain with him, and he will produce fruit in you, fruit that will last. And so we've seen the parts of the vine. We've seen the process of the fruit bearing. And now let's look at the product of the fruit bearing. Briefly, there's two results that are just so obvious. They come right out of the text here. Two results to fruit bearing. The first one is this. Fruit bearing brings joy to the believer. Tremendous joy. I get this from verse 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Of all the teaching I've ever heard on John chapter 15 over the years, this I think is the least emphasized. There is great joy available for us in our lives here. Jesus' purpose is not just pragmatic. I want you to change so that you know, you'll know how to do this better and accomplish more things. His purpose here is not just informational. I'm teaching you these things so that you'll have great clarity. His purpose is emotional and it's spiritual and it's relational. He wants his people to be full of joy. It happens through fruit bearing. 
the, the, the way is right in front of us. So first result, joy. Second result I get from verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So what's the second result? A fruitful life not just brings joy to the believer, but it also brings glory to God. This is what you and I were made for, to bring glory, honor, and reflect our God who made us in his image. Fruit bearing brings glory to God. Friends, God wants to bear fruit in your life. Are you connected to Christ, the true vine? Are you yielding submissively to his work of pruning right now? Are you remaining in his word and remaining in his love? If so, you are truly his disciples and you will bear much fruit for his glory. I'll close with a story about an old Italian vineyard. As the worship team comes, this story is from a couple hundred years ago. Everybody had a vineyard in this particular town in Italy, and once a year, all of the vineyard owners would come together in the town square, and they would have a competition. And the nature of the competition, all on the same day, was to see who had the most fruit in their vineyard. And so they would bring out their big wheelbarrows and they would see who has the best vine and everybody, everybody would be wondering who's going to win this year. And every single year, there was this old man vine dresser that would come. And he would bring his wheelbarrow. And as soon as he got to the town square, he would bring this wheelbarrow so overflowing with fruit. It was just amazing. Everybody's jaws were on the floor. How can this guy always do it? He's always bringing all this fruit every single year. And just then when they were amazed another wheelbarrow starts coming around the corner from his vineyard. And then another wheelbarrow starts coming around the corner from his vineyard. Everybody was just, on, this guy's amazing, that standing ovation for this vineyard owner. He's always doing it. He's always bringing all this fruit every single year. That's a picture of God, your father, who wants to bear fruit in your life. You know, there's a verse in the Old Testament that says the children of Israel went to Israel to spy out the land and they brought back fruit. And there's this weird verse where it says, and there was, this, there was this cluster of grapes that was so heavy, it took two guys to carry it. Remember that verse? I'm like, did that really happen? So I go to Google, and like Guinness Book of World Records, cluster of grapes. Here's what pops up. Amazing. That's what God wants your life to look like. Rooted in Christ, connected to the vine, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And Heavenly Father, how grateful we are for your work in our lives. We're even grateful for the chiseling. We're even grateful for the pruning. Though it's painful, we know it's for our joy and for our good. So we ask you, God, in, in a submissive, surrendered spirit, would you take us to the next level of fruit bearing? We want to bear fruit for you. Would you do this in our lives for our joy and for your glory? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.